Hi everyone and welcome to The Femaling Show. I am your host, Nicole Goodman, and I am a woman's identity expert and coach. As women, we fall into different phases of identity throughout adult life and during these, our challenges can look pretty similar. Here at WRS, I will be talking to you about the real issues we all face and even the ones we can silently struggle with. Through honest, heartfelt conversation here at Femaling, you will learn how to accept yourself, understand yourself and be yourself. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Femaling. I am Nicole Goodman, and I am your host. And today we are talking about coping mechanisms and what they say about you or what they used to say about you and what your coping mechanisms say about you now. And let's be honest, our coping mechanisms are looking different day to day during this lockdown period. We are currently in, I think, week six of lockdown during COVID-19. So I thought this was a brilliant topic to bring today. And I have the most wonderful guest with me. I have the beautiful, wise, calming, graceful Jessica Scott. Jessica is a life coach for highly sensitive women. And Jessica has actually been on my femaling podcast before. Jessica, welcome back to femaling. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here again. Yes, I'm so happy you said yes. I'm so happy you said yes. Um, And the one thing actually I want to share with you is that our episode that we did, it was my ninth episode that I ever recorded of femaling mm-hmm. and I it had the most downloads I've ever had of any episode oh really I didn't know that that's great yeah I will like I kind of I knew it it ranked quite highly and then um I double checked it just before we came on to see oh I wonder if any of the others hit it and it didn't you are the it was but sorry I'm taking my top off it was the uh, the highest downloaded episode I've ever oh, put out so, so great thank, thank you for that yeah, it's so of lovely, course, isn't it? Thank you. So, um, in full disclosure, I reached out to Jessica only a couple of days ago, actually, and asked her if she would come back on my podcast because I think her insight and wisdom is so needed right now for us women. Um, she said yes, so that's why she's here. And I said to her, "What you know?" Well, I said to you, didn't I? What topic would you like to talk about? And mm-hmm. will you just tell the people listening at home? The topic that you picked, I've touched on it briefly, and why you felt that it was such an important topic to cover today. Yeah, so one thing I've noticed on my personal journey, and I love that our own personal journey can be seen in so many different women, and I think that that's why the content that I post and the women with which I work, it's not this tiny little subset of women. You can almost see anyone's story and journey because we all have to have these coping mechanisms and how you yeah. cope and how you learn to cope within your family of origin um, because of survival. You need to cope to survive whatever you're in. Um, it really does start to create your life, especially if those coping mechanisms no longer serve you, but you still do them be out of habit yes. because they're tied and linked to survival as a child. And so in the times we're finding ourselves in today, um, I couldn't think of a more um, pertinent thing to discuss. And I think that on our own, if you're on a journey of self-reflection and introspection, at some point in this lockdown, you've had to come face to face with yourself and why you do what you do, right? Um, uh, so that's why I chose uh, the topic. 
I, well, I mean, I said it to you, didn't I, just before we, we I hit record. I, I said to you, you know, if you are remotely self-reflective, with mo- which most women are to a degree, mm-hmm. like you do, I came smack bang mm-hmm. in full frontal glory of myself. Mm-hmm. And there were some days where that wasn't, it wasn't pretty and, <laughs> and it wasn't, it, and it wasn't compassionate and it wasn't kind and, but it just, but it was real. Mm-hmm. And so if I've had to take a long, hard look at myself and my coping mechanisms and my strategies around self-care and just managing myself recently, then I know most women have, mm-hmm. because I know I'm just totally representative of what is, what we are all managing right now. Right. On a huge spectrum, Right. On on a on a huge spectrum, and I love that you and I now get to talk to it and get to speak to mm-hmm. it, and and hopefully through our conversation, I will find some wisdom and some peace to be able to take away, and of course, the listener. For sure. So, so let can I just ask a question before we delve into the topic? You say you coach highly sensitive women. Um, can you just define that a little bit for me as to what a highly sensitive woman is? Right. So I didn't know that I was this woman until I read a book. This phrase was coined by Elaine Aaron, and she's a psychiatrist and a researcher. Um, she is amazing. And 15 to 20% of any population, even animals, will have a subset within the group that's highly sensitive. So what does this mean? Um, And if you go through life not knowing you're highly sensitive, then you start to think that something is seriously wrong with you. So this was my journey. Um, Highly sensitive in layman's terms is when you are, (laughs) you're very, and most people think it's like, oh, she's so sensitive. She just can't take a joke. It's not necessarily that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, instead, it's um, like loud noises really, really get to me. Bright lights, a lot of noise, um, itchy fabrics. Um, I notice a lot of subtleties in my environment and can read a room really well, so much so Mm. that it might actually start to affect who I am authentically because I'm starting to read people's responses before they've even given themselves away verbally. So in a room where... Let's say, I mean, in American culture, and I'm not sure about, um, you know, the culture where you live, but I think it's pretty unanimous. Culture is kind of, they orient women to be that Goldie Hawn. Um, when I'm doing, when I'm talking to women in uh, my courses or one-to-one, I always do this, woo, like this free, like I'm loud and proud. And I'm just not like that. I've never. Yeah been that I, in, in some ways when I do my stories on Instagram or I'm sharing I'm kind of a little bit monotone more you know maybe Oprah Brene Brown they're not you know hanging from chandeliers just kind of like more the no. same type you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and so yeah. in the online space even and much before this you know college and high school I never was that gregarious ostentatious free, you know, like I was more observing and a little bit, uh, I was shy as a child. So all of these things rolled into being highly sensitive. I mean, when you're in a group of people and everyone thinks the music turned up really, really loud is awesome. And you think it's terrible. 
<laughs> then you start to think, what is wrong with me? Or if people yes, love yes. to be in crowded places and the more the better and you know, all this stimuli and everyone's like, woo, and you're just like, this sucks. You start to think <laughs> something is wrong with you. Um, so it's like all of your senses are on mm, high alert at all times. 100%. 100%. Wow. And um, she studied this in animal populations too. And it actually serves the greater good to have a subset, about 15 to 20% of both humans and animal populations that are reading things that those that are caught up in the Goldie Hawn <laughs> acting, they're missing out on. <laughs> And yeah. so it's not to say, um, and I say this, uh, we're not saying that being highly sensitive is better. It's just a thing and it's different and it's observable. And one isn't better than the other. It doesn't mean that I have special powers that someone else doesn't. It just means we're picking up on different things. And I speak to that woman who has always thought, I just kind of don't like that. I don't like loud music. I can't stand all that stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, So when I first read that book by Elaine Aaron, it rocked my world because she gives case studies of women who have learned about themselves. And in every single one, I saw myself and it was, um, it was pretty wow for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the thing is, is that as you said before, this, oh, she's so sensitive. That has become Mm -hmm. such a negative dialogue. Mm -hmm. There's such a negative narrative around that. And I see that happening with my eldest daughter as well. I was always called sensitive. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, if something aggravated me or something upset me, Mm -hmm. it would just, I would be tarnished with that brush. But actually, and as I am teaching my daughter now you're not sensitive you are picking up on things that other people don't pick up on she walks into a room and she can read the energy Mm -hmm. she can read when someone is being a bit off with her she can Mm -hmm. read when someone has had an argument with someone else in the room because she just I Mm -hmm. I call it her superpower it's an intuition that she's totally tuned into and when I was younger that was deemed as wrong and bad and mm-hmm. annoying and a little bit, you know, I, I used Off. to get on people's nerves a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But actually, it, it it's an absolute sign of beauty and a sign of you are totally tuned into a different frequency mm-hmm. that other people just are not. Well, and when we start so, to go through life and we're, you know, if we're the 15 to 20 percent, then that means we're around 80 percent, the 80 percent that are looking at us like, what the hell is your problem? <laughs> You know, so, so, you know, the odds are against us. So to meet other women who say, you know, that me too thing, then you start to not feel so weird. And then when you grow into yourself, and I think that this is part maturation, part getting older, part realizing, like, I don't care what anyone else thinks, I'm going to live my life and be myself. Um, Mm. It also correlates and coincides beautifully with, um, empowering yourself and starting to pay attention to cues that you get. And so because I wanted to fit in so badly and just be like everyone else, when that's almost impossible, when you're trying to be like the 80%, um, I would really divorce a lot of these cues so that I could fit in. And when I'm not when I'm not being true to the information that I'm getting in order to fit in or be liked, 
then I'm missing an entire wealth of information that is here to help me navigate and guide me to a path that's just right for me. And so as I've turned that up, this superpower, um, my life has become more enjoyable. I pick up on subtleties and I start to listen to these little things that I, you know, intuition hits or sensitivity hits um, where I'm reading something. And I no longer, I don't want to say I'm perfect because just recently I ignored it again. And I was like, why wasn't I listening to that? Um, but it was a coping mechanism. I had to, I had to divorce myself to cope with the stress of fitting in for so long. And so it's an ever present. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and I love that you're pointing to the work is it's ongoing for you. It's not like a practice. It's a practice and it's a continual practice Mm -hmm. to to Mm -hmm. always. And may I say that that's one of the things I enjoy most about following you is how authentic you are, how truthful you are with yourself and then Mm -hmm. in turn on your account. And I think there's such, you bring such grace to that, which is what I said in the introduction, Mm -hmm. because, and, and, and I really mean that. I mean, that is the energy that I always get from you, from any post that you put up or any story. It's just comes from an absolute depth of authenticity. Mm, and I really you. admire that. It's so it's funny that you say great. I'm going to uh, sidetrack here because I did this exercise. There's a wonderful exercise. I don't know if you've heard of Tara Moore. Um, she's someone that I've read her books and She has an inner mentor exercise. You can just go to her website and do it. I highly recommend it to anyone. Um, I did that exercise about four years ago now. And it's like a meet your inner mentor who is like this wise, unfailingly wise part of you that's always here to guide you, right? And when on this visualization journey, um, you get to meet this fabricated person in your mind, but your highest self type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you also get a name through this visualization. It just comes to you. And I do this with a lot of my clients. Um, Everyone always gets a name and then you go and look up the name meaning, you know, how everyone's name has a meaning. Um, So I did this four years ago. And as you know, who I was being then I was a fitness coach. I had disordered eating. I had body dysmorphia. These were all coping mechanisms to deal with stress because yeah, I didn't yeah. know how to cope. Um, a lot of stress in my life, a lot of um, eating disorder behaviors. And the name of my inner mentor, when I looked it up, so I, I got the name Annette, which is so weird because I don't know anyone named Annette. I don't even like that <laughs> name. Um, so that was really surprising. I'm like, Annette, what a... What a Please, I apologize. Where, like, where does Annette yeah. come from? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not listening. I'm sorry, but I just, I, I didn't even particularly care for the name, right? But I looked it up, and I kid you not, Nicole, the name meaning was Grace. <gasps> oh, I've just gone cold. And I wept when I came across that because that was the one thing that I never gave myself. And the last four years of my journey has been to grow into her. So it's kind of um, really beautiful and perfect that you said that I present myself and the information with grace. So I'm just having a little bit of a moment over here. Well, you know what? Just have that moment and celebrate in that, that now that's what 
you bring and that's what I see in you and that's the energy that you completely expel Mm. into the world and I know I only see it through social media but I get a very strong sense of you are exactly who you are Mm. and I don't think that there's any doubt of anyone that follows you that would disagree with that thank you so so let's um so let's get onto the topic because you've mentioned coping a few times Mm -hmm. um and I guess the big question is you know what in the way in which you cope I'm going to try and say this articulately as possible the way in which you cope says a lot about who you are or where you are I think would you is that right I think alternatively it says a lot about what you needed to survive in your childhood okay okay we have this thing where um, there's kind of this attachment versus authenticity going on at all times in us as children. And even as adults, we have to be attached to our caregivers, you know, attachment theory and how is your attachment? And we, we simply aren't like, you know, birds or reptiles where we just swim out to the sea and we do our life. We are under the care of our caregiver for quite a while, the longest, I think in any mammal. And so we need that attachment for survival and it's literally programmed into us. There's nothing we have to do to decide. And so whatever environment we find ourselves in, and if you're listening to this, I just want you to think about, you know, what were the unwritten rules in your household growing up, whether they were, you know, verbally stated or if they were just, I understood this. And so what I understood is I have to be perfect. I have to look perfect. Mm -hmm. And I have to be getting straight A's. And I just have to not fail. And I've got to be the best. And this was never like said at the dinner table, but this is just what I gathered. I was so afraid of failure. I was a straight A student. I was the all-star athlete, the MVP, the captain. And, um, I was really, really afraid of not being that. So just using my example, and then you can use this in your own life and the viewers or the listeners can do this as well. Who was I being in my childhood and what did that mean? Like, for example, I was trying to be perfect. So my cope, the way that I would cope with stress or anything else, I would kind of hustle to get it all together, you know, like, Got to look perfect, act perfect, and do it perfect. So this is how I would cope, you know? So in any inevitable failure of life, which we're not getting out of here without any failures. So (laughs) I, you know, in 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 the face of adversity, I would really tighten up that perfection to the point where it became a cage. And so you know, having a baby and then the new body. And then I was a single mom and it was just this tireless race of trying to stay ahead of my shadow until I just couldn't do it anymore. I had to sit down. I had to take a breather and accept that I, the duality of me, I I'm not just perfect. So because I wanted to have the attachment of my family, I had to kind of put authenticity aside And so how I coped really carried me into adulthood, even though I didn't need that because I was out of my family's house. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So So the attachment doesn't change. Right. So in order to start to change, 
in order to start to heal these coping mechanisms, you have to start to promote the authentic self instead of the attached self as an adult. Because I don't, not that I don't need attachment, but I'm, I'm an adult, you know, I, I have my attachment. And when we're authentic, then when I'm able to just be my, you know, my light and dark self, my, I, sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong self, then I'm being authentic. And then attachment as an adult takes care of itself. And what I mean by that is in my relationship today, I'm completely authentic and transparent. I say, gosh, I'm have just the other day, you know, I'm, I'm getting up to my cycle. And so I'm in that pre PMS week. And I told my partner, Rick, I said, I just feel like bursting into tears crying. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I no, nothing happened. I just, it's literally hormones. I could just burst into tears like right now. And he's like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. But how I used to cope was that yeah. I would cry in the closet alone. And it oh. seemed really silly and funny. And, but like, oh. I couldn't bear being authentic yeah. in front of other people because crying means you can't handle it. It's weak, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So when I yeah. started to promote my authentic self as an adult, Rick could either say, well, this lady is crazy and I'm not going to stick around. And then that would take care of that attachment and I could still be myself and I would wait for a partner that saw me and said, I still want to be here, right? So at all costs, we want to promote our authentic self, not yes. our formerly who we needed to be for attachment self. And then as I'm authentic, you know, I, I meet friends, I, you know, have a romantic partner, I meet coworkers that see me for who I am and want to stay. If someone doesn't want to stay while I'm being authentic, then great, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's such a freeing statement in itself. If someone doesn't want to stay when I'm just being me, then, then they don't belong here anyway, right? They don't belong here. Right. So, so with, this, with the highly sensitive, I used to think, I used to see them, eh, you know, do I like her? Do I not? And then I would go into high alert and read them and read who I needed to be for them to stay. Yes. Yes. So I would do this chameleoning dance. It's so interesting what you're touching on now, because um, I was having a conversation this morning with um, a very close girlfriend of mine and I was talking about a relationship, a very unhealthy relationship that I had in my life for many, many years with a, with a friend. And mm -hmm. I was saying to her that I had to go onto a different frequency every time I was around this woman, every time. Mm -hmm. And I knew for about the last three years of that relationship, I knew, and I even said it to the girlfriend I was speaking to today, I knew that if I showed up as my authentic self, then our mm -hmm. relationship would be over. So what I did, 100%. right. So what I did was I went to the complaining me, the, uh, the sort mm. of the moaning me, the version of me that, that has always something to feel down about or low about, or just a very low vibe version of myself, mm -hmm. a version that I don't particularly like a version that has no growth. Um, mm -hmm. and the minute that I showed up 
as myself and thought, I can't do this anymore. And actually, I want to talk to you and I want to engage with you as the part of myself that I am. Now, and I'm good. And bringing it back to topic, my coping mechanism to be in this relationship was to rob myself of myself and to go mm -hmm. into her expectation of who she thought I should be. Mm -hmm. And I went along mm -hmm. for the ride. But the minute mm -hmm. that I decided, actually, you've grown through this. This is an old story. This is an old version of you. You've worked too hard to be so much more fulfilled and so much more well-rounded and so much healthier and mm -hmm. so much happier that actually mm -hmm. I'm not even giving this woman an opportunity to know the real me. Let me show you Wait. who I am. We could have an amazing relationship. And guess what? Of course. She, was, she wasn't interested. She didn't want to know. She she totally and utterly cut me dead. And that's her choice mm -hmm. and that's fine. I mean, listen, mm -hmm. at the time it was heartbreaking and it took a lot of healing and a, a lot to let go of because I was, I was devastated. But today, as I stand in the woman that I am, that, that coping mechanism that kicked in for me that said, actually, you need to honor yourself. You need to mm -hmm. stand true in your authenticity because you've worked hard for it and you're proud of it and Absolutely. you really like it. Mm -hmm. That woman. So when we notice ourselves, and this is a highly sensitive trait, um, it's a kind of this people pleasing. Uh, yes. We would bend or chameleon because we can read what people need. A lot of people can't. They just walk into a room and they're just being themselves. And, you know, it's kind of they already have it down. This authentic, authenticity promotion and attachment takes care of itself. These are these people that that's just the way Bob is. And, you know, <laughs> if you like Bob, you like him. If you don't, like, you don't. And he doesn't give a crap anyway, yeah, and, right? And I love a Bob for that. Person. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so this is where, as a highly sensitive person, this 15 to 20%, we look at Bob's like, how the heck are you able to do that yes. so boldly? But they're not able, they're not picking up on what we're picking up. So they're not able to get all, they're not getting the information. Yeah. I wonder if Bob got the information, <laughs> if he still could be himself, you know? Yeah. And so I used to do this with dating relationships. I actually, a few years ago, I said to Rick, we were driving and I go, you know what I finally figured out is kind of making me a little bit miffed about you. And he's like, no, <laughs> tell me. God. please tell me. <laughs> and I'm like, we've been together for two years now. And you not once have ever told me a preference, you know, because I've had long hair, short hair, blonde hair, dark hair. I have naturally curly hair, but I can wear it straight. Um, you know, I've done figure competitions. I can be really muscular or I can, you know, have a little junk in the trunk. You've never told me how you prefer me. And it's pissing me off because I don't know how to be. <gasps> wow. And he looked at me and my partner is the most present, calm, amazing. Like, it's almost like he's a yogi, but has never practiced yoga. And he just looked at me a little bewildered and said, why would I ever give you a preference that would rob me of seeing who you are in each moment authentically? Oh my God. Oh my God. And I... I mean, this was the first time in my 30s, the first time that I, you know, guys my whole life have, you know, you could stand to lose 10 pounds. You could stand to gain 10 pounds. I like you better when your hair is down. I like you when you don't wear makeup, you know, all this stuff. And even if it's not verbally stated, I was picking up on it because 
I could read their facial expression. You know, I remember coming out of the bathroom one time, I got ready for breakfast when I was just dating this guy. And he looked at me in a disapproving way, but he didn't say anything. And so then I'm like, oh, he hates my makeup. You know, it's, and he didn't like when girls wore makeup. So I'm like, oh, I'll become someone who doesn't wear makeup now, you know? Yeah. And that rat race, that like tug of war of, I gotta be this, I gotta be that. It is so exhausting. And yes. now I just, instead of doing that race, I literally just stand still in who I am mm-hmm. and everything takes care of itself. But isn't it so beautiful that actually in that, in that people pleasing, the minute you stop that people pleasing, because it all comes from fear, right? It all comes from fear mm-hmm. and lack of self-worth mm-hmm. and lack of self-belief. And of course, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to actually stand in who you are and say if I don't people please you and you walk out the door I'm okay with that it is so hard so so hard but that's the work that's the work that's the work and let me tell you something the minute I stopped that people pleasing the minute I stood in who I was I knew from then on by this woman and she was a massive part of my life by this woman being removed from my life or removing herself from my life, I knew that I would never not stand in myself again. I would never rob myself again. Yeah. I would never people please again. Mm-hmm. I, would ne- I would never lose myself in any relationship ever again. And, mm-hmm. and as I was having this conversation with my girlfriend this morning, I said, I am getting to a place where I am so grateful to that woman because she has been... Oh gosh, I was just going to bring that up. Right, mm-hmm. she has been my biggest teacher in how to be proud of who I am how to stand in who I am and yes I don't need any more and that doesn't come right away I cannot <laughs> warn it, the, it has the, the it, it has been one of the hardest most traumatic heartbreaking experiences of my life there's no doubt about it absolutely and so when these people leave and you go through this you'll actually go through the five stages of grief And so recognizing it so you can bring self-compassion to yourself in this moment, the the long moment drawn out over sometimes years, months, years, days, whatever it is for you. So the five stages of grief are first denial, then um, anger. So, you know, I had was in a business partnership that was so toxic that I actually left um, a little over a year ago now. And it was the same thing. I couldn't be my authentic self because they needed me to be this certain way. And I was so hell-bent on trying to please these people. Why? I don't know. Um, And when I finally stepped away, I was so angry. I was so angry that I had allowed myself to be manipulated, that I had gone into a business partnership with um, a narcissist, that someone that was so manipulative And I was so angry. And then I recognized this is part of the grief. So first I was in denial. Oh no, they're not this. You know, it's me. I'm, you know, and then I got out and then I was pissed. I was so angry. And then you bargain. So it's like, oh, well, I wonder if, if I would have, then she would have. And you do this dance, right? So when you recognize these stages, you can invite compassion in instead of you know, most women, when they have anger, you know, anger to me is, 
one of my most favorite emotions. I'm so pleased you've said that. I'm because I say that. That's something I always say. I actually think anger. Oh, re- yeah, I think it's really healthy to feel angry sometimes. I don't. I mean, I li- don't live there, but I think it's great to feel it and experience it. I really do. Yes, um, and it's something that we, especially in spiritual circles, I believe sometimes can be touted as you know a low frequency thing and I'm not talking rage where you're screaming in someone's face I'm not talking rage where you're hitting people or smashing things this is not what I'm talking about I know but I mean when we talk take it back to you know let's just I I love to bring this up because everyone gets it do you think that slaves would be free if someone didn't get angry about it You know, I mean, like it's, it's anger is the emotion of change. It's the emotion where, you know, reform begins to happen. And so, you know, without it, it's almost, you know, we're powerless. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And so with this, this journey that I went on, you know, in leaving partnerships and leaving whomever has left my life. After you get through the stages of grief, the last stage then is acceptance. And I can say I'm now where I'm so thankful for that business partnership because this is where the work also leads you. There was something about me where if I'm being self-aware and introspective, not in a judgy way, like, oh, there you go again, Jessica, doing this crap. You always do. You know, this isn't the tone. <laughs> it used to be my tone, totally. Yeah. But now I can say there was something in my being that allowed this correspondence, this relationship. Because if it wasn't for me and if I was strong enough in myself, I would have just looked at it the first time it happened and said, "Mm, no. And it wouldn't have gone on for as long as it did. So not to self-abuse or say like, you know, like I previously mentioned, but to really start to look at what was it about me that was, it takes two to tango, you know? It does. It, It does. It absolutely does. And listen, blame is, blame is a, I always say to my kids, like you want to sit and blame and you want to blame everybody else, but you, there's, there's no liberate, like you can't do anything with that. You're powerless in blame because if it's somebody else's fault, then only that person can fix Mm -hmm. the issue. I brought up while you were talking, um, there's a book called Rage Becomes Her. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it or read it, but it is Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger. And this book is so good. Um, But I want to read this quote. May I? About anger? Please. I would love you to. Yeah. Anger is an assertion of rights and worth. It is communication, equality, and knowledge. It is intimacy, acceptance, fearlessness, embodiment, revolt, and reconciliation. Anger is memory and rage. It is rational thought and irrational pain. Anger is freedom, independence, expansiveness, and entitlement. It is justice, passion, clarity, and motivation. Anger is instrumental, thoughtful, complicated, and resolved. In anger, whether you like it or not, there is truth. Anger is the demand for accountability. It is evaluation, judgment, and refutation. 
It is reflective, visionary, and participatory. It is a speech act, a social statement, an intention, and a purpose. It is a risk and a threat, a confirmation and a wish. It is both powerlessness and power, palliative and provocation. In anger, you will find both ferocity and comfort, vulnerability and hurt. Anger is the expression of hope. And so I used to chastise myself for feeling anger. And I teach my clients that really all emotions... So as we're going through this very difficult time, lockdown, all emotions, imagine if we were driving a car and, you know, your gas light comes on or your brake lights come on. What do you do when you get a little, you know, ding, you know, your, your gas light goes on. Do you just turn the other way or do you pay attention? So where there's anger, where there's worry, where there's frustration, these are all coming to the surface for us to take note, they literally are here. They're in our body for a reason. And so get curious. They're alert yeah. signs. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. used to be yeah. angry and then I would, you know, get the alert on my car dashboard and then I would shake the steering wheel or maybe punch myself. Like, I mean, I would never do anything to resolve or care for the alert that I got. For some reason, you know, if I need air in my tires, I literally go put air in my tires to get my car's needs met. But when I have anger, which could be, uh, you know, I had a lot of anger in that relationship, uh, that work relationship, there was a lot of boundary violations and disrespect. Yes. Oh, I hear you. So if I'm not going, gosh, what is this? What is this? If I'm not acting like, you know, my emotions are here to tell me something, and I'm not getting curious, I'm really missing out on this entire world of information that's just right yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. And, and, and I so he- I so hear that, like this emotional range that we go through and each and every single emotion is so mm-hmm. valid and so necessary and so part mm-hmm. of the human experience. And every emotion tells us more information mm-hmm. about ourselves and that's that's where the coping mechanisms come in or don't need to come in don't they because they're all mm-hmm. attached to our emotional mm-hmm. range you know when I was going through you know the story that I've that I've shared with you uh, with the loss of this girlfriend the anger and the injustice mm-hmm. of it and the I couldn't understand how she could just walk away and then it just suddenly hit me and I was I was I had sleepless night after sleepless night about it because I was just so in such dis-ease about it. And then I realized, oh my God, like, of course this is hard. Of course I'm all of the emotions every five minutes. It's meant to be hard. I'm grieving. I'm in loss. I'm hurt. I've been betrayed. And that is going to take a lot of emotion. That is going to take a lot of energy because I am dealing with this right here right now it's never easy it's not meant to be easy Mm -hmm. and so I have my clients one really helpful thing especially if you're new to you know recognizing your emotions and starting to get your needs met so all of our coping mechanisms that we use they all serve to get our needs met that's what a coping mechanism is even someone who is 
an addict, someone who's drinking, someone who's hitting their kids, child abuse. It's a coping mechanism. I'm not condoning it. It's okay. it, it, yeah. everything we it's do, right? Everything we do eases yeah. the pain. Yeah. It's our best attempt at easing the pain. So when we start to look at how do we cope? I mean, I used to deal with any emotion by restricting my diet and working out, but it actually didn't hold the pain. <laughs> it never. Well, I'm I'm laughing because hello, <laughs> me too. Yeah. You know that, you know that about me, um, yeah. I never really was able to reparent myself, this term where, okay, if I'm feeling anger or if I'm sad or if I'm, you know, worried or depressed a little bit, take me out of the equation. And if you're a mother, if your child was sad, what would you do? What do you think they need? They probably need connection. Mm. They need some, you know self-care. They need someone else to care for them because they're little. So how do you care for yourself? You know, and starting to, I, I have my clients start to put three alarms in your phone with beautiful music. And the alarm, every time it goes off is how do I feel and what do I need? And the more we become aware of how we're feeling, and it seems really silly, like, oh, this alarm's going to go off while I'm you know, grocery shopping or in my garden or whatever, but just notice how are you feeling? And a lot of people, it's called alexithymia when you can't identify emotions. It's really, really um, indicative of having an emotionally neglectful childhood where emotions either weren't talked about or they weren't tolerated and you got to be happy all the time or, you know, don't, don't bring it up. And that's how I felt. So it's kind of like, you got to be perfect. How do, why do you think I was so afraid of um, the, the raw, heavy emotions, the sadness, the depression? And so when we start to have this dance with ourselves, where moment by moment, you know, throughout the day, how do I feel right now? If I'm feeling a little anxious, what do I need? Okay, I just need to stand here. Maybe I'll deep breathe some grounding essential oils in my hand, or maybe I'll just take some deep breaths, you know, something where I start to care for myself instead of orienting yeah. myself like, oh, yeah. well, who does my husband need me to be right now? Who does my work partner need me to be? Or how do I be perfect in the face of feeling yeah. sad? Why can't I just allow myself to feel sad? Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And just allowing ourselves to be however we are without judgment, mm -hmm. without making it wrong, and just allowing ourselves just to be. And I think that's so important now, especially mm -hmm. now, because people are, the you know, the women that I'm coaching and my girlfriends that I'm speaking with, so up mm -hmm. and down. Everything is so changeable in, in any given moment mm -hmm. because we are all going through this collective grief. Mm -hmm. There is so much collective grief going on. Absolutely. And to bring that kindness and compassion and presence back to how we are and what we need is, is a very beautiful practice. Absolutely. And I think that we get afraid because, first of all, for women – you know, likability and the Goldie Hawn persona is uh, currency for women. 
So if I'm having a sad day, am I likable still? If I'm angry, am I likable still? But we can't just ignore this whole half of who we are. And it's not even, we're not, an, if, I'm, if I'm angry, it's not even who I am. It's just something I'm experiencing right now. And so I can still, there's a lot of talk these days about, you know, good vibes only and positive mindset. And I get all that. But what I have never really heard said, and what I coach my girls through and my, um, my friends and I talk about is that I can still feel sad and know I'm going to get through it. Just because I'm admitting sadness or depression or anger doesn't mean that I'm wallowing in self-pity and I don't have the belief on the back end that I know I'm going to get through it. Conversely, if I allow myself to feel the sadness and care for myself through it, knowing that better days are ahead, that this will pass, this is the holding of pain that's required so that we don't go on this whole journey of, you know, the working out that me and you did. We, we never learned to hold yeah. the pain. And so first it's really. And be funny. with it. Yeah. And just be. First with it's it. really seems yeah. scary because if, unless we were taught how to do this and it was modeled to us in our family of origin, we literally have no idea how to hold pain until it passes. And this is what we do. You know, a baby is crying and it's like, oh, it's going to be okay. And so they learn to soothe through watching us do that. But as we get older, it's kind of like, shut up, stop crying, that type of parenting, or I'll give you something to cry about. So it's like, oh, what I'm crying about is not okay. And so when we learn to accept our own emotions, this is how we start to break the cycle because we start to accept our children's emotions and we're there as a witness instead of trying to change them. And then they grow up to be someone who thinks that they always have to be happy and they're, you know, a crappy person if they have a bad day. Yeah. Oh God. It's, oh God. I'm resonating so much with this. I have my eyes closed and my hands on my head because I feel this so strongly Mm. and we're never going to get through life without feeling pain without experiencing failure we're never going to do that and and the sooner we allow for that and the more space we allow for that right then the more emotionally healthy we can all be and I think there's such power in just naming what's really going on for yourself. The other day I woke up in, I woke up in the morning and I'd had like four or five days where I was in a really crappy Mm. mood. I was grumpy, I was snappy and I was just being probably quite unpleasant to be around. And then I woke up Monday morning and I just felt so low. And I turned around to my husband and I said, I don't feel good. And he was like, oh God, like what's the matter? Thinking I was like physically ill. I said, no, no, I'm okay. I'm absolutely fine. I just, I feel very, very low. And in that moment of saying those words, something transformed, something shifted. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden I didn't feel that anger, that irritability, that aggravation that I'd been experiencing for four or five days because I was sitting in what was truly going on 
which is I was feeling a bit low. That same thing happened and for me when I was feeling like I could just burst into tears. And it's still a practice yeah. for me to share these things with Rick, who's seemingly always in a good mood. He's always steady. He's steady as the day is long. And so for me to share, you know, it's still a practice. And I had been feeling the same way, you know, it was my PMS week. And I, I don't always share that, but I, I'm working through it on my own. And the moment that I said that it was like a weight was lifted and I actually could feel, I felt lighter. I felt more connected to him. Yeah. Um, like there wasn't an elephant in the room. And I, I just said it without judgment. And I know he wasn't judging me. And you just start yeah. to feel like, oh my gosh, I can breathe again. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, this is real. Oh my God, I'm back to the truth of me. Oh my God, right. I'm absolutely in touch with what is truly going on. And the anger and the irritation was me trying to run from it, trying to escape the fact that I, the pain of feeling low. Right. Yeah. And so the journey really of promoting our authentic in the present self, how could we do that if we're completely having a blind eye to what's going on. Yeah. We're doing that as, you know, a coping mechanism. That's how we had to cope, but we don't need that anymore. So, um, one of my, one of my teachers, Dr. Gabor Mate, he's amazing with addictions and coping mechanisms. And he says a coping mechanism that used to serve you in childhood is like, if you and I went to the North pole right now, <laughs> we would have to have layers of clothing on, right? I mean, we would be putting on a ski mask and snow pants, and those would serve us really well in that environment. So whatever we had to do as children to cope, whether it was numb out, zone out, yeah. uh, be by ourselves or whatever it is, there's a myriad of different options. Me and you are at the North Pole and those clothing, the, all that clothing serves us well. Now, if you were to transplant us to the, you know, tropics, <laughs> and this is how we are with our, you know, adult selves. I'm no longer in my family of origin systems. I'm in a completely different environment. So we're in the tropics now. We have the ski mask, the snow pants, and the gloves and the hat and everything on. Yeah. Oh. Nothing is wrong with the clothing. So I don't have to say, get this stupid clothing off and hate myself for putting it on because I put it on for good reason. So this is where the self compassion comes in. But it's just noticing and say, oh, wow, it's kind of hot in here and I don't need to wear this anymore. So I can just begin to take it off. Yeah. And that sounds really easy. It's not that easy to take off your coping mechanisms and choose healthier ones. Yeah. But it all begins in noticing like, oh, wow, I'm in the tropics and I have a ski mask on. It's this isn't working out so hot, you know? When it comes back to that beautiful exercise that you encourage your coaches to do, which is to check in, keep checking in with yourself. Mm -hmm. How am I feeling? What do I need? What's required right now? How am I feeling? I feel quite hot. The, the, you know, the snowsuit doesn't work here. Let's take that off. Let's try something else. A tank top would be better. Yes, yeah. and it's okay. And it's okay to change. I mean, my, in a way, I mean, you've been following me for a while. I've been following you. I mean, I have changed so much, especially if you took like a 10-year snapshot. I think we all do. But a lot of my followers are like, I just cannot believe your transformation. And I'm not talking about a physical one. Although healing my eating disorder, I have gained 20 pounds and I'm happier this way. Yeah. Um, wow. But the mental transformation, the transformation that you really couldn't take a picture of, 
you know, that is such a huge process and it's, it's not quick. It's a practice. And so many people are inspired by that transformation, which sometimes it makes me cringe a little bit because I look at my past self and this is where I have to practice self-compassion, but it's been so, so huge, but it's possible to make those leaps because the more self-aware you get, the more you realize, gosh, I don't need this clothing. I'm going to take it off. And this sometimes can be the impetus for huge changes in your life. Uh, yeah. Oh, and and also, well, and also people like, you know, people are going to, ch- as you change, the people around you change. Everything mm. changes. And being an evolving creature takes bravery and I and I totally hear what you're saying because I also have been through my own transformation and you ask any of the people that are closest to me who I was five years ago to who I am today they're they're unrecognizable women and I don't mean physically yeah but I mean emotionally spiritually psychologically every single part of me is I, I I went through a complete and utter metamorphosis and I agree with you about sometimes I look back and I see you know posts that I might have put up from five years ago and I just I want to cry I want to weep I want to take that woman and save her and heal her and say you don't need to do that now there's a better way mm-hmm. but I've done the work and so and I, I want to bring up too you know how we look at look at ourselves and we, but we were doing our best then, were we not? I mean, in all of yeah. our unhealed coping mechanisms and what we thought, I, I never in that time or any time in my life, I have never woken up and said, you know what? I'm going to do a shitty job today. <laughs> this is the day. <laughs> never. And you know, you know what's sad about part of, you know, part of my journey and I'm sure part of your journey, I was heavily celebrated because I looked good right? Yeah. So I got probably more recognition back then from out external sources than I do now. And the work that I do now is so heartfelt and so much deeper and so life-changing and transformational for other people around me, for the people, you know, that I coach. Um, And to me, that is so much more rewarding and so much more important, but Mm -hmm. yet it is so much more recognized in our culture and our society that how you look it, it's so much more of a currency and that is that still makes me so sad I used to be really angry about it in inverted commas same. and now I'm just I'm sad for it I'm sad and glad at the same time that I'm not a part of that anymore mm-hmm. I don't want to be recognized for what I look like and when people comment oh, on what I look God. like now it doesn't even it used to be my entire worth my entire identity caught up in a compliment and now when someone says something about how I look it doesn't even I don't even notice I don't because I don't care compliment me on my on my work or what lives in my heart or the message that I'm putting out that's helped you from having a less crappy day like that's all I care about is the impact that I make so absolutely. And so the compassion that I have for myself in those moments where that literally was my best, I wish that my best would have been different, but I can have compassion because it, I, I could not see what I was involved in. I, I couldn't see the forest for the trees. So this then helps me in navigating, you know, everyone has a different opinion about COVID. Everyone has different ways that they're being, they're reacting. 
everyone is literally doing their best. I've never met anyone, even an addict that says, you know what, today I'm going to get up and do my worst. Yeah. And so the compassion, you know, for your, your family of origin and how your parents raised you, I've, as I've been able to be compassionate towards myself, I've been able to give that to others. And that too has been life-changing because I, I really do believe everyone's doing their best. It doesn't mean that I don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that I, you know, don't have discernment as to who I'm hanging around because everyone's doing their best, but I can not have anger towards other people because I know, you know, they really are doing their best. Even someone who's caught up in the diet culture or the body dysmorphia or thinking that when they're thin or have abs, they're going to have, you know, the world in their hand. And that's just not the case but they'll, they'll, they'll learn it. And, and that's their coping mechanism for now. Right. Right. And so, and I'm so grateful that my coping mechanisms look very, very different to how they used to look. Mm -hmm. But I have, I, I love what you've just pointed to having that compassion and understanding because I had less awareness around me. That was what I had available at the time as did you and this is what I have available now and in five years time I might look back at the woman I am today and say wow I wish I could scary right you know and I'll probably have so much more available to me in five years and that's the work that's the work and this is why I love aging I mean I love growing up I mean I love and I welcome you know turning into a woman and letting go of the things that made me a girl um, with aging, I found so much power and empowerment and um, enjoyment of myself that when you're young and in your 20s or teens, you, it's just not there. And um, I, I wish that aging was more celebrated. And I, I could go on a whole diatribe about this as well, you know. Uh, as women age, they get more powerful, right? They I mean, look do. at how much more powerful they we do. are now compared oh. to in our 20s. Oh, my God. And if and you so, met my mother, you would know she is just a force to be reckoned with, my mom. And she's gotten, and she's so, I've watched her come so much more into herself. And now she's mm-hmm. in her 70s and she's she takes no prisoners. And she is who she is. My mother is the most authentic woman you'll ever meet in your life. She doesn't change for anything. And she's never had to work at it. It, It's, you know, probably a bit like your romantic partner, Rick. It comes to her Mm -hmm. very naturally. But having that role model in my life to just stand in what's true for you and and, and not veer from that in any way has been... I've learned so much from my mom. And the people that know my mom would find that really funny, but because she's a funny little thing, my mother, but she has gotten like a fine wine, better and better and yeah. better age, no doubt about it. And as I've reoriented myself to promoting my present self, instead of trying to be this, you know, uh, looking like a teenager type body type, you know, no fat, not looking like a woman, just, you know, Everything that I was trying to be, it reminds me of, you know, a 20 year old or a 15 year old girl. And that actually, disgustingly enough, is what's celebrated in our culture. And I just want to point out that it's celebrated because 20 year olds can be manipulated because they're naive and not in their power yet. So how perfect for our culture to orient women to idolize that 20 year old 
you know, looking and version of yourself, because that's when you were the most able to be manipulated and mowed over. So the more that I have stepped into, you know, when my hair goes gray, I'll celebrate it. I have wrinkles around my face. Thank God. Um, You know, I, I, I have had a child. My body is different. And I celebrate that and love myself through it instead of trying to be what society dictates that we should be, which is a powerless, able to be manipulated, um, you know, available for sex in any way a guy wants it. So if I can actually sum up this conversation in terms Mm -hmm. of what our coping mechanisms say about us, I think they change very much as we change they are evolving as we evolve and all you need is to stand in your authenticity and to stand in your truth and then you will know whatever it is that you need in that moment to be able to in inverted commas cope or get through that moment Mm -hmm. as best you can what would you say to that A hundred percent. And know that whatever coping mechanism you see that you're doing right now, it has served a purpose. So bringing in that compassion, I mean, if it didn't work, you wouldn't have chosen it. Yes. Right. So it has served a purpose kind of like the, the, you know, winter outerwear (laughs) until you start to take it off. Yeah. And so this is the dance with life, you know, it's ever changing, ever moving, and just being ready for that dance, um, and inviting compassion and taking care of yourself is really the only way we're going to get out of here. (laughs) I mean, otherwise we're just staying stuck, you know, we're just cemented in this place. And it's like, no, I put this ski mask and pants on and I'm not taking it off. Well, yes. You're going to be sweating. Yeah, yeah, and you're in 90 degree heat and you're causing yourself that discomfort. I say take it off. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful analogy. Jessica, mm-hmm. I could I could talk to you forever and I will definitely be inviting you back and I hope you say yes as quickly as you did this time. Thank of you course. so much for bringing your wisdom and your grace here to femaling once again. Um I I thank you for your openness and your heart and your authenticity and your truth because you are an absolute role model for women today and I admire you very, very greatly. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. You have been listening to the Female in Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Goodman. Thank you so much for your time and for listening today. If you love this podcast and found value in it, please go and subscribe write a brilliant review and go and share it with your friends who need a bit of femaling in their world you can find me on all social media channels for more of my work instagram at nicole goodman underscore coach facebook nicole goodman women's identity coach and you can also find my private facebook group where all the magic of conversation happens with a really amazing community of women thank you again for joining me today This has been Femaling. I'll be back next week with another episode. And remember, it is the most exciting time to be a woman.